here's the story. Here is the story that I can't really believe is a real thing. I should believe it. I've read everything there is, I believe, to read about it. And so I know that it must be real. How much would you pay for the diary of Ashley Biden, President Joe Biden's daughter? And does that sound like a weird, invasive, and maybe even personal question? Yeah, absolutely. But is it entirely hypothetical? No, because we can, believe it or not, put an exact figure on that diary's worth. Apparently, Amy Harris and Robert Kurlander stole and sold Ashley's property for a whopping $40,000. Try to expose the contents of a diary kept the previous year by Mr. Biden's daughter, Ashley. Now, more than a year later, the Justice Department is deep into an investigation of how Ashley Biden's diary found its way into the hands of supporters of Mr. Trump at the height of- And the buyer? Well, it was none other than Project Veritas, a right-wing organization that allegedly intended to publish portions of the diary as they're most known for exposés on Democrats, typically those involved in politics. If you can't already tell by my general wording and tone here, Veritas is also known for seriously crossing some personal boundary lines. Trying to gather voting information on a political opponent is one thing, but going after the diary of the president's daughter feels just extra slimy. Project Veritas's lawyer has insisted that their news gathering method was ethical and legal as they believed the diary was abandoned property, not stolen. Even so, this hardly sounds ethical to me. In fact, I'm not alone in saying that because the Trump campaign agrees with me, which is something I'd never thought I'd say. According to Politico, Harris and Kurlander tried to offer the diary to the Trump campaign, but an unidentified representative of the campaign turned them down and suggested they give the materials to the FBI. And I hope you savored that moment because it will probably be one of the only times a representative of the Trump campaign and I agree on anything. You know the bar is on the ground when even Trump representatives are saying, hey, this may not be the best way to talk about a political opponent. And that's how you know this episode is going to be an absolute train wreck because the morals of Veritas are basically six feet under. But let's play benefit of the doubt for a minute and say, hey, maybe they did obtain this diary in a legal and ethical manner. The actions taken directly afterwards are still upsetting and questionable. First and foremost, there's the matter of who they got the diary from. Robert Kurlander was convicted in a 1994 drug-related money laundering conspiracy. So he has already been convicted of a massive crime in the past. That's not to say that people can't change, and of course they can, but I think that Project Veritas, when dealing with a matter this sensitive, might want to really get to know and question where the diary comes from to ensure it was, you know, abandoned property like they claimed. But hey, as long as they didn't steal it, who cares, right? That sure seems to be their attitude in my opinion. I'm not surprised the far right would go through all this trouble for just a diary though. If it's not Ashley's diary, it's Hunter's laptop, which is a whole different can of worms. And for the record, because I see the comments on it, if Hunter Biden did do something illegal, I absolutely hope he's prosecuted for it. And if he didn't do anything illegal, then just remember that he's still a private citizen and deserves those rights. So just FYI. Now, secondly is the fact that Veritas did not go straight for publishing. Instead, once they actually got their hands on the diary, they showed it at a Trump fundraiser. And I wish I was joking, but just a couple months before the election, it was passed around this event in Florida at the home of a Project Veritas donor. And why you might ask? Well, I don't know that answer. I just think it's really creepy how this like circle jerk of right-wingers treated a young woman's diary though. Allegedly, Donald Trump Jr. said he wasn't interested in the diary and that it should be reported to the FBI. 
I'm not sure if he's the unidentified campaign representative we talked about, but Veritas didn't really take the hint. Instead, they also decided to call Ashley and confirm it was hers. They pretended to be a good Samaritan trying to give the diary back when they just wanted to get enough information to be sure what they had their hands on was legitimate. Then with its identity secure, Project Veritas allegedly tried threats as part of a quote, extortionate effort to secure an interview with Joe Biden in the final days of the 2020 presidential campaign. And just let me repeat how absolute batshit crazy this is. Project Veritas got their hands on the president-elects or at that time presidential nominee's daughter's diary, seemingly without proper due diligence and into where it came from, passed it around a fundraiser event, then used threats to try and extort an interview out of the presidential candidate who then became the president right before the presidential election. Donald Trump Jr. and the Trump campaign didn't even put a stamp of approval on their actions. And somehow this is only the beginning. What we show on our tapes is we show everyday normal occurrences. For his alleged mistreatment of staffers and his alleged misuse of the non NPR executives acting swarmy, acting elitist, uh, cozying up with uh, uh, Muslim agents. If you don't know today's guest, you know his work. In 2009, this young man covertly filmed Acorn officials around the country, handing out advice on how an underage prostitution ring could better take advantage of federal housing programs. So hello and welcome to The Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're gonna be chatting about Project Veritas. Now, we've established a bit about what they do, but really, who are they exactly? The founder, James Keefe, made a name for himself in 2009 when he went after the Association of Community Organizations for Reform Now, also known as ACORN. They were supposed to be, as the name suggests, a group of community organizations that would advocate for low and moderate income families. Early on though, O'Keefe exposed them for some pretty shocking behavior. September of that year, he and Hannah Giles released a video that showed them going into several ACORN offices to get advice about, quote, getting a home loan to run a brothel. Instead of the offices telling them to get out or condemn the behavior, Acorn supposedly gave them advice about tax evasion, child prostitution, and human smuggling. And what the actual fuck? Like, I get wanting to do like good customer service and going above and beyond to help your clients, that's one thing, but you're not supposed to tell them how to commit fucking crimes. And furthermore, it also poses the question, how did they even know to commit these crimes? Like, I don't know how these things go. If someone was like, hey, do you know how exactly child prostitution works? I'd be like, no, I really don't. Uh, but somehow they knew. So I'm like, how, why do you have this information? You know, like, is that not suspicious? But I digress. Apparently O'Keefe even showed up to their offices dressed like a stereotypical image of a supposed pimp, making his voiceovers in the footage even more believable. This story became huge and conservative sites, whether it was biggovernment.com or Fox News, absolutely latched onto it. No doubt feeling pressure from the media, the House of Representatives swiftly voted to defund ACORN, effectively shutting them down. And there we have it. As as we've all just witnessed, O'Keefe is a phenomenal journalist, exposed ACORN for the creeps they are and won the day, right? Well, if that was the full story, I'd absolutely agree with you. Unfortunately, it's not. The New York Times said there was so much bias and not enough actual evidence that ACORN had actually done anything wrong. After all, Acorn said the clips were doctored and without context, and it was surprisingly difficult to know who was actually telling the truth here. 
They were the subject of multiple investigations and eventually AP News reported that there was no criminal activity going on whatsoever. That's right, Acorn was exonerated and O'Keefe seemingly misled the public and any members of the house and watched his little home movie, which was apparently full of fiction. O'Keefe, without any remorse, took down a service to low-income and middle-class families, effectively just to kind of make himself look good and get some like internet clout. There was no coming back from this, unfortunately, and in 2010, the 40-year-old group shut its doors. Acorn had actually been one of the nation's largest grassroots community organizations with over 400,000 members before O'Keefe came along. Despite being cleared of wrongdoing and the law that had blacklisted them from being declared unconstitutional, it was too little too late. This isn't to say that Acorn was perfect. I'm not, you know, blanketing over and going, this was some amazing organization. It was not. They literally had embezzlement issues just the year before. So this blow in 2009 was all the more crippling and believable. Even so, it's pretty fucked up what O'Keefe did all the same. Because truthfully, I think reporting on the embezzlement and mistreatment and all that, that would have been a really valid and useful story, but to sensationalize and make up things that weren't true, well, He got, I guess, the views and clicks he wanted, but at the cost of people who actually needed that program. But I guess I'm starting to realize that that part doesn't actually matter of helping people in your community. Even so, he gained a name for himself. And around this time, James O'Keefe seemed to realize that he could really make an impact with his white lies and unfounded accusations. And thus, Project Veritas was born. Of course, not before O'Keefe was involved in yet another scandal. The New York Times once said Project Veritas started in 2010. Their own website claims they began in 2011. So what came first, the criminal or the organization? In this case, it's not some complicated age-old question like the chicken or the egg, and the answer is pretty straightforward, the criminal. In 2010, James O'Keefe seemed to narrowly avoid jail time when he and three others, including the son of an acting US attorney, according to CBS, were arrested for allegedly attempting to manipulate the phones in Democratic Senator Mary Landrieu's office. And get this, the four of them basically took a page out of a reality show's book and dressed up as repairman, claiming to be there to repair the phones when they really wanted to tap them to see if she was ignoring constituents' calls. Since it doesn't seem like they were actually successful, the felony charges were dropped and reduced to a misdemeanor for entering a federal building under false pretenses. The judge in this case said that these aspiring investigative journalists needed to learn, quote, where to draw the line. And that's definitely one way to put it, a pretty mild way if you ask me, but it is certainly one way to phrase that. Personally, I'd say it sucks that O'Keefe and his pals were so bad at their jobs that they couldn't even get convicted of the crime they were trying to commit. A small part of me wishes they'd been successful purely so that they'd get more than a $1,500 fine and probation, but you know, maybe some actual jail time too. As it stands, O'Keefe doesn't seem to have any real problem with criminal activity if it makes him and his friends look more badass than they actually are. Just take a look at one of their hires, Robert Joel Halderman, for example. Ironically enough, he actually ran a program called 48 Hours Mystery at CBS and was by most accounts, a pretty well-liked and well-regarded producer. The New York Times said he was known for chasing action and taking chances, and none of his friends or colleagues had any clue that behind the scenes, that extended to criminal activity. Yet in late 2009, Halderman was arrested for trying to blackmail David Letterman for $2 million, compelling him to admit that he had sex with female staffers. Quote, I said to my mother that this was like her waking up to find out I'd been arrested for this, said Marcy McGuinness, Mr. Halderman's boss for many years in the 1990s as the London bureau chief for CBS. 
Halderman was so close to the people there that two of his coworkers even posted the bond for him. And to be clear, Halderman was not lying. Letterman did admit to this and it sparked a massive scandal in 2009. Nothing that I've found has said that he was sexually assaulting these women. However, with the massive power dynamic in play between himself and interns or other staffers, it really does leave a gross taste in my mouth. Yet people didn't seem to take it all that seriously. Dave's true audience is cynical, said Kathy Sharp, chief executive of the New York marketing firm Sharp Partners. They may be a little disappointed, like, Dave, how can you be so dumb? But they'll still watch. In fact, by confronting the matter himself on the air, Letterman may have largely contained the damage, said John Rash, a TV programming analyst for the Minneapolis ad firm Campbell Mitham. It makes him an even more compelling character, Rash said. Despite the circumstances, it actually humanizes him, which is different than his often icy image. Halderman, looking back, seemed to be condemned for extortion more than Letterman was condemned for the inappropriate workplace actions. I wonder if the tables would be turned now that we live in a post-Me Too world, to be honest. Regardless though, both of these guys massively fucked up. Halderman had evidence of Letterman's actions and rather than expose him for being a creep, he tried to get money out of the situation instead. It really didn't seem like he had the best intentions at heart here and he ended up spending six months in jail for it. But hey, extortion seems to be a-okay with his employer, James O'Keefe. A producer that uses criminal activity to get to the bottom of a story, no problem. Aspiring journalists that are willing to wiretap a senator's phone to find a story, bring them to James. Conspiracy theorists that will make a story without a shred of evidence? Well, now I'm just getting ahead of myself. Speaking of that though, I think it's time we take a look at the Project Veritas website. What is it that they actually report? What hard hitting edgy journalism are they actually sharing that might enlighten us? I work at a pharmaceutical company. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I just believe in research and science. In this database, you came across a chain of emails discussing fetal tissue and the COVID vaccine. Vanessa Gelman, So right out the gate, this place is a fucking dumpster fire. And I'm sorry, I I know that's pretty brutal, but it only takes about three minutes on their homepage to come to that conclusion. Let me break down a bit of what I saw for you. So right above their latest stories, they talk about these breaking secret exclusives that you can only find through them and their secret reporting. The first one I saw is perhaps unsurprisingly related to COVID. And just as a general aside here, can the far right wingers just shush with the COVID conspiracies, it's gotten so old, it's so tired and worn out. If there was any merit to these claims, we would know by now. That particular tinfoil hat is so 2020, 2021. And if you're going to go on these types of rants, like at least make it about something new and interesting, like the same shit since 2020, really, we couldn't come up with anything new. Come on now. But anyway, I guess this is what Veritas considers the latest breaking news. And they wrote about a Pfizer executive supposedly claiming that COVID has mutated through directed evolution to allow them to continue profiting. So let me try and follow this very like loose conspiracy theory here. So COVID-19 was actually manufactured in a Chinese lab in Wuhan, but at the same time as it was being used as a bioweapon by China to affect the world, it was apparently also being like, reinforced and re-engineered by Pfizer, which is what, like a German company or something, so that they can make money off of it at the same time. I just, the two stories don't really go together and both stories seem to be valid, just generally with like the right. So I'm like, 
which which one are we going with? Like, which one is the hot topic right now? Because like, I love following a good fictional story. Don't get me wrong. I love a good goss here and there, but I just don't know what the plot is anymore. But I digress. Uh, I guess that Pfizer vaccines made COVID mutate into something more difficult to beat so that they could actually make more vaccines and more money, at least according to Project Veritas, that's their version of this story. Now, setting aside how little sense and logic there is to this entire conclusion, there's also no evidence to back up those claims. This entire article is a Project Veritas journalist talking to Jordan Tristan Walker, a supposed Pfizer director of research and development. The video shows Jordan sitting there with a shit-eating grin, excitedly revealing these secrets and telling Veritas not to tell anyone before Veritas tells their entire audience, of course. Tucker Carlson tweeted about this evidence, literally citing Project Veritas as his source, proving that right-wing news organizations do use their stories as proof and as a reliable source of information. Yet, if you actually try to verify who the hell Jordan is, doesn't matter if you spell the middle name Tristan or Tristan, you'll come up blank. As Forbes notes, someone this important to the company would probably have some sort of verifiable profile, but they just don't. Between this, the way the video is stitched together in a way that would make it easy for statements to be taken out of context, and the really vague answers from Jordan, it's hard to call this evidence of anything. And again, if you're gonna be making claims this huge, you have to, you know, actually back it up with real data, like real information and real sourcing. But I guess Veritas journalists just kind of forgot about that part. And it's no wonder they did. I mean, they have an entire page dedicated to answering the question, are we journalists? Which is kind of telling. This reminds me of the many MLMs that we've looked at that often have a portion of their website called, are we a scam? Or where they buy the domains that xxmlmisascam.com and it just redirects to their website. Like. If you've got enough people asking that question or making that accusation, then maybe you're not as legitimate as you think. And the company should raise a bunch of red flags right then and there. Same thing with Veritas. If you need to tell the public, hey, we're real journalists, we promise, then maybe, just maybe, you're not as good at your job as you think you are. But this is only the tip of the iceberg on Veritas's website. They've also got teachers exposing curriculums as delivering a democratic message and one assistant principal saying they won't hire Catholics anymore because of conservative beliefs. If anyone's going to teach kids that evolution doesn't exist and gay people are going to hell, then yeah, regardless of beliefs, I don't think they should be a teacher, but that's just my opinion, hey. Now, if you actually look at what their administrator says, they're not even condemning Catholics, just the ones that refuse to change their very rigid mindset and extremely conservative curriculum. Every time any liberal news organization has to print a correction, they jump on that and even toss the word journalism in quotes as if they're the only real reliable sources out there. I bet other news organizations don't have web pages dedicated to saying, hey, we're real journalists by the way, but all right. I love how they have an entire wall of shame dedicated to this saying that liberal media sources go there to die because yeah, Printing a retraction and updating an article with the latest information is bound to give you a bad reputation now. Like, oh my God, how dare you be dedicated to actually providing factual information and be willing to change your stance, your opinion, your views with correlating facts. Like, oh no, how terrible. They even have a retracto theme song when they point out the most minor of article revisions and a fucking mascot for the segment too called the retracto alpaca. I wish I were kidding, it's kind of funny, honestly, though. 
But hey, at least Project Veritas seems to own what an absolute joke they are, right? Like, it, fuck, it's so ridiculous. It, it really is hard to take them seriously. But let's move on to the speed round because we don't have a lot of time in today's episode, but somehow there's still so much left to talk about. But before we jump into the lightning round, I'm just gonna really quickly thank today's sponsor. Did you know that we're eating and drinking roughly a credit card's worth of plastic a week? Yeah, that's right, and it sounds pretty gross too. The products that we're using every day are ultimately contaminating our water supply, generating hundreds of microplastics that we end up ingesting. So Blue Land set out to do something about it. Eliminate the need for single-use plastic in the products we reach for the most. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet. And their idea is simple. They offer endlessly refillable cleaning products with a beautiful cohesive design that looks great on your counter. Just fill your bottles with water, drop in the tablets, and wait for them to dissolve. You'll never have to grab bulky cleaning supplies on your grocery run again. And refills start at just $2.25. Blue Land has everything from cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and of course, their laundry section, which is one of my favorites. I love their laundry tablets. They're super soft and gentle on my skin. I, for whatever reason, have sensitive skin and their products have been fabulous. And of course, their drier wool balls, they're pretty, they're blue, they're cute, and they work. Make sure to check out their Clean Essentials Kit, which has everything you need to get started, which is three bottles of cleaner plus a bottle of hand soap. They come in beautiful light scents, such as iris agave, fresh lemon, and eucalyptus mint. So if you wanna get 15% off your first order, make sure you go to blueland.com casket. You're not gonna wanna miss this, blueland.com casket. Blueland.com casket. Now the latest on embattled Senate candidate Roy Moore defiant as calls grow for him to drop out of the race and as more accusers step forward, alleging sexual misconduct. President Trump- There's three more massive controversies we're gonna need to go over. One is from 2017, one from 2019, and one from 2022. While I'm not sure I'd say Veritas has a nose for news, they really are great at sticking it where it doesn't belong. But anyway, let's talk about 2017. A woman went to the Washington Post claiming she had a story about Roy Moore, a Republican Senate candidate in Alabama. She said that he impregnated her as a teenager and effectively wanted the Washington Post to publish her story. And this news would be devastating to his career. Well, that was the aim at least. And if it was true that Moore slept with her when she was just 15 and he was in her mid forties, then he deserved to be taken down. However, while Roy Moore did have a lengthy list of accusations against him for pursuing teenagers when he was in his 30s, the Washington Post still tried to confirm the story because, you know, that's what you're supposed to try and do before reporting on anything, especially if it's something as serious as this. Since they couldn't verify the claims, they didn't publish the allegations and it's a damn good thing they didn't. As it was later revealed, the woman seems to actually work for Project Veritas and she made these claims so that when the story was discredited, the public would also doubt the other allegations against Moore. And this is a bit fucked because one, Veritas is making an absolute mockery of sexual abuse claims, if this is true. It's also attempting to excuse Moore and his potentially predatory behavior all in favor of political gain. And I mean, how low can you stoop? This was undoubtedly one of the biggest flops of O'Keefe's career, as Politico put it, and led to this ridiculous article a year later. While Politico is trying to paint this angry man in the headline, a man who just can't get no respect and is now out for blood, in the article itself, O'Keefe sounds like a tantruming child trying to explain his side of the story. 
That's not to say that his actions and words can't do real damage, but my God, is it impossible to not roll your eyes. Here's a little snippet of it. People trust the post, he notes, but it was forced to print a correction after its ACORN coverage initially stated that O'Keefe had targeted the group because it helped African-Americans and Latinos. Yet because I selectively edit, O'Keefe says using air quotes, I am the most despicable person on the planet. Though O'Keefe insists that all media actors should be assessed equally for their fidelity to truth, he's also appeared on Alex Jones' show and refused to speak a negative word about him, even after the hateful, horrible Sandy Hook shooting in which Jones said the children were all crisis actors. O'Keefe explained away this double standard by saying a bunch of word salad and claiming, quote, the rules of engagement are different when you're an insurgent, he says. We are insurgents who have an existential threat against us by the government, the system, which seeks to shut us down, and a complacent and corrupt media. In that world, we retain the right as Veritas to hold the side accountable that won't hold itself accountable. And we consider Alex Jones an ally in that fight. All I got from that was we want everyone to be held accountable, but we also don't want the rules to apply to our friends. That's what I got out of it, at least. And it seemed like O'Keefe was sure willing to prove that shortly afterwards too, when Project Veritas broke Facebook's authentic behavior rule, all in the name of whatever their warped form of justice is. The rules they broke were designed to curb troll farms from spreading misinformation. And as The Intercept put it, Veritas continually makes themselves stand out for shamelessly and nakedly pursuing partisan ends, making them seem far less journalistic truth seekers and more like, in my opinion, right-wing conspiracy theorist people with a fancy title and platform. As opposed to working within boundaries to pursue stories, they've continually tried to find loopholes, cross lines, and downright demand laws be broken for them. Like O'Keefe actually sued the Suffolk County District Attorney over a Massachusetts law batting the covert recording of government officials, presumably to expose them for all their lies, all while Veritas has infringed on others to the point of having restraining orders placed against them and deceptively edited videos to suit their own narrative. Is it really any wonder why you can't get no respect, O'Keefe? Like, is it not obvious? Now, as for that third controversy that we're gonna discuss, this one is a wiretapping lawsuit. It was only a matter of time until it happened, right? Honestly, the most surprising part of it is that it hasn't happened sooner. Once again, for violating wiretapping laws and fraudulently misrepresenting themselves, this time to a democratic consulting firm, Veritas had to pay $120,000. Now, what they did in this scenario is they posed as a wealthy donor in the case and they incentivized employees with case bonuses if they could obtain incriminating statements and effectively took place in a political spying operation. And look, Veritas, I also have watched James Bond and spy movies, pretty cool, okay? Do you guys remember the one with like, uh, what, what is his name? Frankie something and Amanda Bynes back in the day when they were both like spies or something? Like, I get it, it was cool as hell. And Spy Kids, come on now, we all, we all know those were pretty cool. So I get it, you wanna be sneaky and badass in this cool covert operation, but this isn't a game. Like maybe you should hire people who know how to actually respect the boundaries of the law. So that way you won't actually have these problems and then still do journalism. Like it's just a thought. I really shouldn't be surprised though, because even as Veritas began dealing with the wiretapping suit, they were also sued for having a shitty, dangerous workplace environment. A 61-year-old woman, Antonietta Zapier, said that she was sexually assaulted and harassed by Veritas field director, Michael Spadone. Allegedly, because she rejected a weekend away with him, she was fired. Also at the work Christmas party, he supposedly drunkenly shouted that she was so fucking hot and kissed her neck. 
and it took two other employees to pull him off of her. Yet another lawsuit by former employees said that the workplace was trash for other reasons, unpaid overtime, doing work outside of their job description and daytime drinking and drug use being commonplace. There are truly so, so many more problems with Veritas. Like in 2014, Mother Jones said that they caught James O'Keefe posing as a civics professor, trying to bait them into approving voter fraud. And again, maybe don't post a photo of yourself about to enter a sting operation in your disguise. But hey, just my opinion. Two years later, he also accidentally stung himself when he tried to call Open Society Foundations and leave a voicemail about wanting to get involved, only to forget to hang up and continue to talk for several minutes, revealing his plans like a really bad villain. And honestly, that's kind of the thing. So many of his notable incidents are only attempts. It's what makes O'Keefe so laughable, pathetic, and frankly, so easy to hate. When he does manage to unlawfully obtain information, it's also infuriating because he's willing to cross those morally gray or sometimes outright wrong lines. But at least he doesn't have a good success rate. A former board member told me 10 years ago, Project Veritas will never be stopped from the outside. It will only be because we stopped ourselves, right? I'll get to that too in a minute. Prophetic as it may be. Thankfully, O'Keefe, the face and name behind Project Veritas, has been ousted from the group entirely. NPR recently reported that the board of directors uncovered financial malfeasance, and he spent a ton of donor money on himself, including, quote, $14,000 on a charter flight to meet someone to fix his boat under the guise of meeting with a donor, $60,000 in losses from dance events, more than $150,000 in black cars in the last 18 months. Sure, James, you are definitely really super duper devoted to your mission, all right? And that's why you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on things that aren't related to it whatsoever. Now, once the board confronted him, O'Keefe packed his bags, posted a teary 45 minute goodbye speech on Vimeo and has since moved on to, well, whatever the hell he does next. If you're curious, I guess just keep a watch on his Instagram. Even if he changes his identity and starts wearing fake mustaches, you'll probably hear about it somewhere. Honestly, I do hope this group crashes and burns without him or with him, you know, I don't really care. And if they do, I'll be right there with a s'more, ready to enjoy those tasty, tasty flames. But with all of that being said, that is where we are ending today's episode. I hope you learned something new today. And if you did, make sure that you're liking, following, and subscribing to stay up to date with all of the latest information. We're releasing episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and most Fridays, though sometimes we release them on Saturdays instead. If you'd like to catch up with me outside of these episodes, make sure to click my Linktree link in the description box. It's gonna have a nice little neatly organized list of all of my social media and projects that I'm involved in. So thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. As always, I really do appreciate it and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.